And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. There's been one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about, is holding that trophy up and holding that trophy up here. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am Jimmy Durkin, joined, as always, by Vic Tafer and Tashawn Reed. Ted Nguyen, we're waiting for him. We hope that he will join us uh, shortly. He should be around. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if we can get a check in with Ted. But uh, guys, Raiders are in Florida. Vic, you are in Florida, enjoying the uh, the sunshine, the muggy weather. Uh, how, how are things going so far in uh, in lovely Sarasota and Bradenton? Yeah, it's pretty chill. I always forget how muggy it is when I get here, but um, you get you get used to that. But yeah, it's been chill. You know, the Raiders are at the uh, the fancy Ritz Carlton. It's very uh, kind of like a you know, kumbaya summer, you know, time field getaway kind of a lot of team bonding and a lot of like you know, everyone's eating meals together, taking bus together, and they're kind of thinking they're gonna turn this thing around. So we'll see what happens on on Sunday. Dave Ziegler talked to you guys. That's it's kind of the, the first time really he's, he's talked in a while. Um, you know, I, I know he says he understands and feels the the frustration from the fan base at, at two and five, but also it, it was a lot of uh, kind of flowery praise and defense of Josh McDaniels and, and Litz, and we get it. I mean, that's your buddy. We're not in this old school world where the GM is the coach's boss anymore. I mean, you know, Dave does have the personnel power, but Dave is not Josh's boss uh, or anything like that. So, of course, he's going to, to compliment and praise him. What was your biggest takeaway from getting a chance to, to sit down with Ziggler um, and, and just kind of get his take on, on what's happened? And, I mean, it, you know, he, he said it himself, like, it, at 2-5, and five, that means nothing has gone right for this team. Yeah, I think it was good. I think you tried to see some of the talking points going forward. I think they're going to um, – obviously, he's going to praise Josh McDaniels and the staff. And Petra Graham, he says, doing a good job. The system is – is fine. Just the players have to execute better. So I think going forward, if, they, if you know they'll turn this thing around, I think you'll see it being more about the players not doing their jobs. I think um, you kind of hinted they're looking forward. To, you know, they want to win this year, but they always wanted to look forward to the future and kind of build this roster up and learn. They're learning about the players they have. He's only, we're only seven games in, so we're kind of seeing who can do what. So you get the sense that you know, and, and it makes sense. A two and five, you got to frame it a little differently. So now they're going to look at their roster and, and kind of decide who's going to be back next year, who can make plays. And so I think you're starting to see that, um, yeah, they, they want to turn around. They want to win some games. Maybe if they can, some might get back in the playoff race. But really now at this point, it's more about identifying the players you want to keep, the spots you got to fill in, you know, in terms of show up some places on, on defense and also on offense and kind of look more towards the future because, you know, it's getting harder and harder to see this as a playoff team, you know, as every day passes. 
It sounds like they're basically trying to do the Warriors plan, right? You know, win now and also develop for the future. We've kind of wondered this entire year why they have all this excess cap space that they're just not using or that's going to roll over the next offseason, obviously. And, you know, they, they weren't willing to move on from their future draft picks at the trade deadline to try to make an upgrade somewhere. So definitely seems like that's that's an emphasis. Um, nobody really wants to hear that right now when they're two and five. And, you know, this this team, this roster isn't one where this should be their record. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that they were a shoe and play playoff team or anything like that, but they, they definitely shouldn't be a bad team right now. They're on their way to getting the top 10 pick. You know, it doesn't excuse this season, but, you know, it, it makes sense. I can't say it's something that's new. It kind of lines up with everything that they've they've done to this point. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in the moment, doesn't really sound good, but it make, makes sense long term. It explains your approach with the O-line. I've been down that state for a while about, you know, that in training camp, they lost, you know, Denzel Good, Brandon Parker, and then the whole Leatherwood, you know, flame out. And why did they bring somebody in? Why did you bring a veteran guy in? You have salary cap space. It's definitely a need. And he said they, they couldn't find the right guy at the right price. It wasn't a veteran guy. He was convinced to come in and shore up the offensive line at a reasonable price. So definitely there was a, a number there. They don't want to go over because they, they they want to keep their space, their cast space for next year. So it kind of shows you the whole, you know, the whole philosophy even back then was like, we want to win now, but there's a, there's a point. We don't want to affect, you know, next year's budget too much and have to take a risk at a guy who may not be, a short thing answer for us. So they decided to go with what they had. Obviously, Alex Bars, you know, came out of nowhere and got a spot. So uh, it does explain a little bit. I don't, I don't agree with it, but it explains why they did what they did with the with the line back then. It's strange because, you know, you look at this team and, and a lot of people see, hey, you know, you're taking over. Your, this new regime's coming into a, a playoff team that has some good pieces on the roster. Like, that's a great situation to walk into. And it should be. But with their approach where it's – you know, they're not like tearing it down to to the studs or anything, but we wondered when they first came on, like, are they going, is this team going to take a step back? We know what happened last year, that they made the playoffs, but they did make the playoffs by winning like five walk-off games. You know, they kind of had that element of luck where they were really good in those one score games. And we wondered like, would this new regime, would they take a step back? And then the the moves that some of the moves they made, the first kind of moves they made, trading for Devonta Adams, you know, signing Chandler Jones, those were kind of moves that that indicated they were not going to take that step back. But now, I, I mean, I guess you just kind of sit there and wonder, like, why why make moves? Like, I mean, the, the Adams move, no matter what, makes sense because you're you're adding the the best receiver in football and a guy who we presumed would have a great rapport with your quarterback, although for, you know, for some reason he had one catch for three yards last week. Now that we kind of see what's going on and, and kind of the narrative that they're bringing out, I start questioning why you made a move like like bringing in Chandler Jones. Um, it doesn't really line up with the way you're, you're sort of approaching this team. Yeah, I think that's probably where Mark Davis comes into play because, I mean, you know, at, at their opening press conference, I mean, he was he made it very clear they, they want to keep pushing for that, that playoff run and, and not try to take a step back. He didn't want to do a, a soft rebuild or let them tear it down a little bit, how how John Gruden did when he was hired. And so I don't really know if that was really an option, you know, and so they still have to try to compete this year um, in, in some semblance. Uh, like we said, you know, last year. I wouldn't call it fluky, but it was definitely they made the playoffs by like the skin of their teeth. It wasn't like they were like just walked into the playoffs or anything. Obviously, they, they didn't make it until the final week of the regular season. And some of the stuff along the way just wasn't sustainable. We knew that. And so, you know, they were going to have to make some upgrades throughout the roster in, in order to be a playoff team again this year, especially once we saw, you know, all the additions made throughout the AFC West and, and the AFC as a whole. They really couldn't stand pat. You know, also, even with bringing in Devontae Adams, that, that, that wasn't going to be enough. I mean, clearly, you know, for them to 
you know, compete for for a playoff spot again. The salary cap floor in the, in the NFL, so they have to spend a little bit of the money. But you know, even even with that deal, I mean, next next off season, according to over the cap, they have over thirty six million dollars in cap space right now, and obviously they they have that one week runaway with Derek Carr and, and a few other players um, that could pot- potentially open up even more cap space. And so, while they did go all in, I would say their moves were all in moves this off season. It was kind of like a kind of sort of all in because I mean, their cap books are still really clear, you know, next year. And so there's some flexibility in there for them to go out and based on what we've seen, they they, they better shore up their defense um, and make a bunch of additions on that side of the ball, but also, you know, maybe, you know, add, add some significant additions to the offensive line and help fill out the roster. And so they're kind of, they're kind of in, uh, in between team, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, they, they didn't tear it down, but they didn't necessarily push all of their chips in the table. Otherwise, we would have seen them, you know, probably give out a big contract to an offensive lineman or two in free agency. Because what whatever they said, like, you know, by the time training camp rolled around, like it was, it was pretty much bottom of the barrel guys. But there were plenty of guys, offensive linemen who were quality offensive linemen who had played well this season that they could have gone out and signed with the money that they had. And they just didn't do it. And, you know, as Vic said earlier, you know, that, that seems to be to keep their f- future books clean. All right. Ted Wynn is now here with us. And we want to talk a little bit about Derek Carr. He's been on the injury report the last couple of weeks with a back injury. You know, I think he's missed one snap as a result of it. Um, you know, he, I don't think, really wants to, to make too big of a deal of it. But uh, is it a big deal? I mean, are, are we are we kind of allowing the idea that that could be impacting his play, could be holding back the offense a little bit? Or, or what do we think about Derek Carr and his back injury? Short answer is no. But because, I mean, the, the passing offense has looked out of sync the entire season. And so this isn't something that just suddenly all of a sudden against the Saints, the offense, you know, the passing offense, uh, you know, looks out of sync or Derek Carr doesn't. It doesn't look like himself. So I'm not really buying. He's, and he's a tough guy. He's, he's a guy that plays through injuries and probably has played through things that we never heard about, you know, for years now. And so I'm not really buying that being a, a big deal for him. He's not a guy that's, he's not running around out there or anything. You know, back in drives can, can, can hurt you just from, from throwing, of course. But, you know, if it was anything significant, you know, I, I don't think they would force the issue with their starting quarterback. And so it's, you know, he's, he's, he's hurt, but he's not injured. You know what I mean? And so, I don't buy that as the reason why they passed for a hundred yards or whatever they had against the Saints. Like it just doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah, McDaniels was asked about it Monday. He said it was a non-factor. Then uh, Derek was asked about it yesterday for the first time. He kind of uh, dismissed it, but the uh, reporter really wanted him to say he was not feeling good. So he's definitely not. the second time he said, "Yeah, it affects me, but I feel better this week." It's you know, but um, so I don't know. It's one of those things like you know. All, you know, teams start losing, um, excuses start to get, you know, formed and to kind of put, you know, aside for future use. So this could be a thing where down the stretch they can look back and say, well, the reasons we didn't have a lot of success were our quarterback had a sore back. So you never know what's going to happen down the road. But as of today, I don't think it's a factor. And maybe it might be used as one down the road. But uh, it seems like he's doing better. He hasn't missed any, any time. Uh, and the coach himself said it wasn't a factor. So... I think it's just a, a nice uh, way to fill a story up uh, one day, but uh, I don't think going forward it'll be a big deal. Yeah, watching the game physically, he didn't look like he was too immobilized. He didn't look like he was much slower or faster than he, he was before, and it was just they couldn't hit some deep passes that they had to hit against that type of aggressive defense, and they couldn't do it. So I, I just I couldn't say it's because of injury or it didn't look like there was you know an injury affecting him. So, yeah, I wouldn't say that's a valid excuse or reason why they played so bad against the Saints. 
All right, well, the NFL trade deadline passed this week, and uh, a record, I believe, 10 trades happened. Uh, it, it was a very active, um, you know, kind of felt a little bit like, you know, the NBA or, or MLB trade deadline, uh, you know, a lot, lot of moves. The Raiders sat out the trade deadline, which, Tashawn, you know, you wrote about uh, Monday morning, you got, should they be sellers, should they be buyers, and, and your kind of conclusion there was they should do nothing. So I think this was kind of what we expected, um, essentially, they're not good enough to be buyers, although some could say that about the Jags, and the Jags kind of went out and, and sort of did some buying. but um, And they didn't really have players attractive enough to sell um, unless they were to you know completely blow it up and sell the guy like Josh Jacobs. So um, was it, would we all kind of agree that it was probably the right move to just sit back and, and hold on to what they have and, and not really go out and make any uh, big moves that, that might mortgage their future? For sure. I mean, you can't have a sale if you don't have any inventory, right? I mean, they didn't have like a bunch of hot commodities that, that people would just be blowing their phone up for. And people, a lot of people wanted to trade Darren Waller, but a guy that's currently nursing a hamstring injury that hasn't played that that, that well this season isn't exactly going to land you top tier draft capital. Neither is a running back or Jonathan Abram or Cleef Farrell or hey, any man, other a dude guys. who is suspended indefinitely got got traded. So. <laughs> I, I guess, I guess, but like, you know, and in, in terms of being buyers, uh, you know, as we just said, I mean, it's off season when they didn't, didn't have a, a two and five record and, and there was all the reason for optimism. They they weren't willing to, you know, smoke all their assets or cap space or, you know, trade away a bunch of picks to try to really go all in this year. And so that just didn't line up um, as with the comments that we heard from, from Dave Ziegler afterwards, it just didn't line up with their philosophy to, to go out and be buyers in a way to try to, salvage a season that already is probably lost you know just looking at the eyes you know, might as well keep that that ammo in the tuck um, for this offseason and plus since it was such an active trade deadline um it, it does seem like there were there were more buyers than, than sellers because of you know how jumbled up the nfl is right now all these teams floating around 500 you know there's a lot of teams that can think that they have a chance at making the playoffs pretty legitimately players that were very expensive now will probably be cheaper in the offseason because of the you know, that, that demand is just going to drop naturally. And so, especially since whoever they, I mean, this isn't a team that's one guy away or, or two guys away. I don't, I don't think from suddenly being a contending team. And so if, if you're going to be generally probably in, in a situation where you're not going to make the playoffs anyway, you might as well just, just wait to the off season at this point. Yeah. Ziegler did say he had a couple of calls about star, star players and he hung up pretty quickly. So he said, he kind of talked to everybody the last few weeks, our teams kind of get a gauge what was going on. And, I guess a good sense it was going to be an you know, expensive market to get into. Like even you know, role players going to be costing more than normally would because there were so many teams trying to buy. There was a high demand, so I think you kind of decided probably you know, last week probably it wasn't going to do much. And like like Deshaun said, if you're two and five, you can't really buy. And I know the agents were pushing. Like you heard all these reports the last few weeks about Abram was available and Cleve Farrell's available, and you know that came from their agents and trying to get something going. But uh, those guys don't have much. Uh, much value on a, on a trade market, so um, they're staying put for the rest of the year. Yeah, I, I still think this team wants to see Darren Waller, Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, and Josh Jacobs all play together. You know, even though Jacobs, you know, he doesn't have that fifth-year option, I, I think there's probably a chance that they, you know, want to bring him back next season and, and and try to run it back. I'm not saying they're giving up on this year already, but if they're looking forward, I, I think they're probably interested in, in keeping this group together. I mean, we haven't really even seen them play all together in sync this season. So, yeah, I can't imagine that they're going to give up on trying to have this offense fully assembled uh, uh, just yet. 
Yeah, Vic, what's your thought on, on Ziggler and, and, and the front office and the team in general, their view of, of Jacobs? I know Ziggler said, you know, hey, you know, if he keeps playing like this, things will work themselves out. Do you think they're legitimately thinking about, it? like, hey, we, we, we want to extend this guy? Uh, I mean, it's just it doesn't doesn't typically line up with how the Patriots have done business to give big money to a running back. Um, but he has been the centerpiece of their offense. Yeah, I think he left off two words there. Things will work out for him, uh, probably going somewhere else to get a nice contract. I just can't imagine it makes a lot of sense. You had a chance to bring him back for it was $8 million was the extension, I think. Um, and now it's going to cost more than that. So I don't think it makes sense. You kind of made, and he's been great this year, better than they thought. He's in, in better shape. He's running the ball really well. And, you know, and Dave said he was proud of him the way he's played this year. And he's definitely, you know, a good team guy as well in the locker room. But I don't think it makes sense. Um, Especially with the running backs and the evaluation of the league right now. I mean, once you decide not to bring him back, it doesn't really matter what he does because that that ship to me has sailed. I mean, you're not going to pay him a huge contract to bring him back. He's in the car. He won't get a deal. He's not going to stay for less. He's going to test the market. So I don't know what he gets elsewhere, but I can't imagine. And I could be wrong, but I would say I'd put the odds at like 15% that he's back next year. I think he's going to test the market. And the Raiders will be like, hey, man, thanks a lot. Did a great job and, and good luck. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Where do you think his running style fits? He doesn't seem like a guy that maybe is necessarily a fit for every team, you know, just because he's you know, not like the guy. He's not a home run hitter necessarily. I mean, he's, you know, he's run more violently. And I, I think, I think we've seen him, you know, kind of show a little bit more burst, but he's still not a guy that, you know, is going to turn a little crease into a 70 yard touchdown or anything like that. Uh, I mean, is he a guy that you think can, can just, Hey, you know, anybody who wants a running back can go sign him or see a guy that might be kind of specific to some different schemes. I think he's talented enough to run in a lot of different schemes where he's having a lot of success is running a lot of some of the gap scheme stuff that the Raiders are doing. They're running a little more two back. And I just think, you know, with the way that defenses are kind of trending, being able to run gap scheme and get between the tackles have been pretty successful for him and some other running run backs around the league, like the Cleveland Browns are you know, running more gap scheme stuff with Nick Chubb. So I, I think that's kind of a scheme that will start trending and back into the league a little bit more. 
So I could see more teams r- r- running that kind of style. So, you know, I, I, I think as that trend kind of goes around the league, he's going to be a fit for more teams around the league. Yeah, I think one thing that maybe could, you know, help the Raiders in negotiations is that the, the running back market is, it seems like it's going to be pretty saturated this offseason. I mean, you got Saquon Barkley and a few other notable guys out there on the market, along with Josh Jacobs, obviously. And so unless the running back is just back, like I don't, I don't think we're going to see a whole bunch of huge running back contracts, right? And so even if there is a big market out there for Josh Jacobs, you know, there's, there's a few other guys that are, that are quality as well that, that could take up those slots. And so they're still on the table, I, I would say, you know, to bring them back. Uh, obviously, they won't, you know, break the bank or anything like that. They have a ton of other issues along the roster that they have to try to address, obviously. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how free agency plays out. You never really know. Uh, so a lot of guys that we expect to go out there and get huge deals end up realizing that the, the market, you know, isn't in their favor. So we'll see how it goes. It was kind of interesting because last week I did talk to a couple analytics guys from NFL teams about the value of running backs. And, you know, now that, you know, we're seeing a lot of teams have success running gap scheme and, and uh, running the ball at a higher rate than they has been before. He did think that the value of the for the truly elite running backs is coming back. Not that I don't think we're going to see like these huge contracts for them soon, but it will be interesting to see what's going to happen with some of these elite running backs like Saquon and Josh Jacobs and just, you know, what kind of money they'll command in the, in the open market in this kind of new new uh, world where the running running is kind of trending back. All right, well, let's move on to talk about uh, Devontae Adams and uh, one catch for three yards. Unfathomable to think that, that Devontae Adams would play an entire game of football for the Raiders with their car quarterback and catch, you know, one little screen pass for three yards. And now, you know, we know there was that, deep sideline 20 25 yard or that uh you know if, if maybe it had been ruled a catch on the field it, it holds up on review um you know and that slightly changes the perspective of his statistical line but it's still pretty hard to believe that 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 happened um what do we think happened sunday is there an overcorrection and, and he gets five targets in the first quarter and finishes with like 10 catches for 120 yards and a touchdown on on 17 targets or um or do they, you know, do they kind of just does does their car just kind of stick to who he always has been, where he, you know, he drops back and he's going to throw to the guy who's open. I wouldn't put the blame on Card too much for the sideline pass that we talked about. He, you know, he probably should have caught that, and who it might have, you know, who knows what the the ruling could have been with that catch. But he also dropped one uh, that he should have caught down the sideline. And there was another time where he was wide open, um, running down the middle of the field. Um, and Carr just got sacked before he could get the ball to him. He, it looked like he was looking right at him, and he ended up getting sacked. And against the type of defense that the Saints were playing, you know, it's not like a type of defense where you're going to have a real efficient game, but you have to hit those big plays when it was there, and the Raiders couldn't hit those big plays. So just those two catches alone, if he, if he got that, it probably put him around 45 yards. And who, if he hit that other deep pass, you know, that would probably get him close to 100 yards. But that's the – the way the Saints play, they played aggressive and the, the Raiders weren't able to counter. Really the issue, whether it's Adams or any other receiver he's throwing at, you know, Carr is he's been throwing a lot of difficult throws. I mean, his, his completion percentage this year, 62.9%, maybe his lowest since 2017. It's only 26 in the league, but he's been really aggressive. He's top 10 in air yards per attempt. And you know, some of these next gen stats kind of popped out to me. I mean, he's 31st in average yards of separation per throw. He's 33rd in percentage of his passes that have been towards open receivers. 
he has the six highest rate of throws in the tight windows. And I mean, even if you have, you know, great pass catchers, the, the odds of you making those completions is just pretty low when you, when you have such a high volume of, of difficult throws and, you know, and Adams, you know, I, I think we wrote about it earlier in, in the season is just, they, they don't really, it's a lot of go routes. It's a lot of, you know, post routes, it's a lot of really deep intermediate routes and why he is a good deep receiver. A lot of the success that he had with the Packers was those slants, those drag routes, those, those, those screens, really the, the underneath routes. And he's, he's a great yard, yards after the catch guy that can catch and run and create some extra yardage downfield. And so um, I feel like they're making things overly hard on themselves in the passing game. Um, and, and while Derek Carr is capable of making those throws, like he's not a guy like, you know, Mahomes or Allen where like he does it at such a high rate that it justifies doing that so often. And even those guys have a ton of gimme throws um, within their system. And it, it just seems like they're they're basically doing all the hard stuff in the passing game and, and not enough of the easy stuff to help get their passing offense going earlier in games and get them in sync. Yeah, I think they have to script, you know, some plays on the opening uh, few drafts where Devontae's kind of like, you know, Derek always says he does exactly what Josh wants with the ball. So Josh has to say, look, these first, you know, five plays are going to Adams. I just think that ideally they'll try to run the ball, get Josh, you know, Josh Jacobs going and kind of uh, keep the defense honest. But um, he's good enough where, you know, you can throw him the ball and double cover in traffic. He might make the catch. So, you got to give them opportunities, and I think they will this week. They realize that, um, you know, they have to have him make plays to, to win games. They're, they're two and five, and him not being the, you know, the, the guy that you know, everybody thought he was as far as impact is probably, uh, you know, part of that reason for that. So I think they definitely will get more targets this week. While we are all in agreement that the offensive line has played better than we expected going into the season, like, those are not the kind of plays that this offensive line is going to give the protection to to deliver those deep balls. So it's like there's multiple reasons why trying to run some of these quicker, shorter routes to get the ball in Devonta Adams' hands makes sense. I mean, it's just, and the offensive line, you know, that is one area where the offensive line comes into play. Like they are not going to give Carr, you know, consistently the time to drop back and be able to hit those deep balls. Yeah, and it's not even just Adams thing. Like Hunter Renfro, we haven't seen him involved in, in that area of the field like we've seen in the past. Darren Waller, when he's been out there, it was pretty much the same thing as Adams, just chunk play attempts going his way and not, not a lot of volume. And so their passing game overall is lacking efficiency. It's, like it's very boom or bust. I mean, it's kind of like the Chiefs game. Where it was like long touchdown, long touchdown, long touchdown, but like really <laughs> like not a whole bunch you know, outside of that. And so it's, that's, that's really only so sustainable over the course of a full season. I don't think it's – it doesn't make sense when they have so many guys like Adams and Renfro that are great working underneath. You just think they would lean, especially like you said, with the, the pass protection being what it is like they're all right, but they're not, you know, even on, on play action passes, like they're, they're giving up a pressure rate of like 45% or something like that. So like they have to, you know, be aggressive obviously and make efforts to push the ball down the field. But uh, I think it's taking up too big of a piece of the, of the power right now. Yeah. And I, I kind of get why they're doing it because just this type the style of defense that they're seeing where, when they double Adams, they're they're doubling Renfro in the same play. They're just giving a, a basically a one on one to you know a receiver like Matt Collins or Keelan Cole was wide open on a deep pass against the Saints because they they were doubling other receivers and just gave him a one on one. So I, those opportunities are there when you watch the film. They're like you have guys running wide open sometimes down the field. So I, I get why they're trying to do it, but I agree that they have to find a way even against those type of aggressive bump and run coverages to scheme up some passes underneath whether they use a little, some more pick routes or, or things like that. But, you know, they just have to be a little bit more efficient with off of the line, like you guys said, but those opportunities are there. You know, if, if they could find a way to hit those, um, this could be a, you know, one of the most explosive offenses in the league with the opportunities that, the, that are being presented to them. 
All right, before we make our predictions, Vic, what, give, give us a sense of the mood of this team in Florida. I mean, did they feel relaxed being away? Or are they tense at 2-5 and five, coming off an, an embarrassing loss like that? What, what, what do you get? What, what are you kind of gathering from, uh, from the mood of this uh, team right now? Everyone's really happy. Everyone's smiling, laughing, having a good time. I asked Derek if uh, at some point there was a, I asked both actually, Devontae and Derek, if there was a period where people get mad at each other, some yelling going on, because obviously it was an embarrassing loss. And uh, I guess, you know, they had the, the, the film session on Monday, and I guess McDaniels kind of, you know, was firm and, and said some things. And I guess um, leaders would, would step up and say something that they take blame for a certain play or they own a mistake they made on watching the film together. Then once that was over, they kind of flushed it and they kind of moved on and they're really enjoying the atmosphere. They're, you know, they're, they're together at meals. They're, you know, they're 24-7 riding each other, taking the buses to practice. And at the IMG Academy, it's pretty nice. So that's where they have their practices. So they hope it's therapeutic just to stay in Florida. They hope they can get that bond going where they can, can maybe push through some things. And, and, and what happened last week won't happen again as far as not showing up and, and not having that sense of urgency, whatever that means. But um you know, they realize they ideally they, they play for each other and they kind of will, will pull through this. And you know, I don't know what's going to happen Sunday, but uh, it seems like they're on the right page mentally as far as, you know, getting trying to get back in that winning mode. I was going to say one thing on that. Like, I think a little too much has been made about like the demeanor of the team and like how much that matters really. I mean, like, you know, they, they pretty much this whole season they've been pretty upbeat and like, you know, positive and all that shit. But like, it just might not be that good. You know what I mean? Like you can only anger your way to like so much success. I think when you get shut out, I don't know. You can just put that on, you know, we didn't start off with the right energy or urgency or something like that. Like, I think this team just may not, you know, end up being, you know, what, what a lot of people thought it might be. There's a lot of times I feel like when things start going bad, we, we kind of start trying to, and maybe they aren't focused or maybe they aren't into it. Maybe they don't care enough. Sometimes it's just aren't that good. Like it just might be a, a thing. It's kind of the cliches that we go to. And it's like an easy you know, cop out for the coaching staff. We got to do a better job of getting the guys locked in and urgent and all that shit. But like, I don't know, it doesn't seem like a distracted locker room or a depressed locker room or a locker room that's checked out or anything like that. So I don't really think that's been an issue at at any point this season. That could change like going forward when when guys start to realize if they are part of this core for next year, if they are a player that they think the new regime wants back next year and they realize they're not. And I think that's why I think this week is good for them because they are all together. It is nice out here, and they kind of can kind of still be that that team unit. But if they keep losing, if the losses mount and pile up, then you will have some guys who are frustrated and, and realize they're not going to be back next year. Some guys may question you know, all these longer meetings, longer days they've had all year, like for who, for what. But I think at this point, everything's positive. They got a very positive group of leaders, but you know, especially you know, Mr. Carr is Mr. Positivity. So I think. Um, yeah, right now it's good. And so, uh, again, it all depends on the performance, what they put out there on Sunday. But uh, the frame of mind seems like it's good. But then again, I never saw last week's performance coming, so you never really know for sure. But um, it seems like they're on the, the, the right right page mentally, at least right now. All right, let's make some predictions here. Raiders, Jaguars, um, two teams that the Raiders came into the season with expectations and, and quickly cratered. Um, the Jags came in really with no expectations and and – Immediately impressed, and then uh, and then have fallen off. So uh, Derek Carr versus Trevor Lawrence. Uh, who's taking Trevor Lawrence? I think it'll be close. I mean, I, I'm not gonna take the Jags, but I think the teams are like you said. They're, they're very similar. I think they um, there's some talent in spots. There's some huge holes in spots. Both have not won a game. They're, they're both lost. I think what the Raiders own four. 
Jags are 0 6 in one score game, so they both can't finish. And Trevor Lawrence has kind of, you know, had some good moments and some bad moments, just like Derek Carr has this year. So I'm picking the Raiders, but I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I got 31 27. I think it'll be a high scoring game if the offense, the Raiders shows up. And, uh, you know, the defense is not very good. So I think Trevor Lawrence will have some, with some numbers himself. But, um, yeah, I mean, they, they really can't lose this game. But I mean, if they do, whatever, it's, I guess, it's already going that direction, but um, I think they have more talent. They should have more talent, I think. Not a lot more talent, but not enough to win on Sunday. I think the Raiders win. I'm 27-24. I think it'll be a close game as well. Uh, I mean, the Jaguars, all of their losses this season have been one-score losses, so it's, it's pretty much fits in for them. They're going to be competitive. They're going to push you. They're going to fight to the end. They're not a team that you can really expect to roll over like the the Jaguars old, even though they're two and six. Um, but I do think the defense is going to have some issues again this week. You know, Trevor Lawrence has been hit or miss uh, this year. Like he has some bright spots and he also has some moments where you're like, what the fuck is he doing? They really have a strong run game. I, I feel with Travis Etienne, he's, he's been looking incredible this season, both in the run game and the pass game kind of not, he's not, you know, Alvin Kamara in the pass game, but he can create some similar issues. If, if their, their pass coverage against running backs continues to be what it was last week. And the receiving talent's all right. You know what I mean? Like Christian Kirk, we make fun of him, but he's he's a solid receiver. Got old friend in Zay Jones. You know, looking for, I don't think it's a revenge game because he got plenty of money down there with the, with the Jaguars, but it sure wouldn't hurt him to have some plays against his old team. And so, you know, they, they can move the ball on offense. And, and the Raiders, they've been really terrible at red zone defense. So I can see the Jaguars punching it in there a few times. So I think it's going to be a lot closer than the Raider fans are, are going to be happy to see. But they end up pulling it out. I'm, I'm going with Daniel Carlson, getting them a – a game-winning field goal to, to end this one off. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it'll be a kind of a high-scoring game. Um, Jaguars aren't good against the run, so I think the running game gets back on track against the, the Jaguars. But, uh, I mean, this team just lost to the Denver Broncos, who are are terrible. So the Raiders win. I, I kind of put that more on my uh, lack of faith in the, in the Jaguars, but uh, I, I think uh, the Raiders end up winning this game. All right, Jimmy, pick, uh, pick the Arden Key revenge game, Jimmy. Ooh, I want you to pick the Jags. That's a so. good factor. That's a good factor. Zay Jones and Arden Key, one. man. Yes. See, like, you, like you said, Zay Jones, that's not a revenge game. Zay Jones came to came to Vegas and, and had a good year and, you know, and, and got paid. And he got paid. Um, Arden Key hates the Raiders, although I think he hates the, the old regime more than he hates the, the, the actual Raiders. But, um, no, nah, I was going to go 23-21 Raiders. I think it's uh, – I think the Raiders offense still doesn't look great. Um, I'm, I'm calling that two touchdowns, three field goals from Daniel Carlson. Um, you know, I, th- I think Trevor Lawrence will give the Raiders the ball at least once. He has been pretty turnover prone. Um, so I think the Raiders do get at least one turnover. But, you know, I think when the Jags do move the ball and get into the red zone, they punch it in three times. So uh, 23-21, big day for Daniel Carlson. Three field goals. Uh, I'm not going to say the game winner at the buzzer, but, uh, but it could be. 23-21. Before we get out of here, we did want to acknowledge the passing of uh, former Raiders punter Ray Guy, um, Hall of Fame punter. Um, just, I mean, really a, a legend at the position. Um, passed away on, on Thursday, I believe, age 72. Um, and, you know, seen a lot of his, his former teammates chime in, and uh, you know, a, a sad day for the Raiders and um, and, and for the NFL in, in general. Um, just want to send out our best wishes to uh, all of his friends and family. Yeah, as well as classic Raider guys, a guy who was you know, the first punter drafted in the first round, kind of uh, played safety in college, learned miss, and was just a great athlete and a great character. Um, I love the stories about how he threw the ball harder than you know, Ken Stable, or he could cover guys in practice, and just uh, always wanted to show he was an athlete, not just a punter, and his teammates loved him, and uh, 
obviously the great hang time, the great kicks, and just uh, well, yeah, there's, there's so many classic characters in the Raiders' history. He definitely was one of them, and uh, I always enjoyed talking to him when he made the Hall of Fame. I think it was his eighth try. I think he had seven times he was in the ballot, didn't make it. He finally got it in, and that was uh, definitely very cool to see. It was a great moment for him and an organization. So, uh, yeah, class act, and uh, rest in peace. You've got to just imagine. Uh, I mean, we know what NFL practices are like nowadays for you know punters and kickers. You know they kind of doing their own thing. But you could just imagine what it was like during his day, where he probably could just kind of do whatever the hell he wants, and and uh, if he wants to mess around and play a little safety and uh, on the scout team and practice, and he'd probably go hit some guys. He, he could. Uh, it, w- it would be fun to to kind of have some video and go back and see like you know what he would have been doing in the, in those old school Raiders practices. Yeah, definitely. I think he always would try to push it to the point where when John Mann would yell at him to, to, to knock it off, he'd stop doing it. But he always was trying to get out there and, and do something in practice, whether it was, you know, throw some balls around or, or getting coverage, some coverage drills. But, uh, yeah, just a, a classic Raider. All right, guys. Well, that'll wrap up this episode of State of the Nation. We will be back on Sunday when the Raiders take on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Barn burner, man. It's going to be a great game. Amazing. Thrilling. What can go wrong? All right, y'all. All right, later, guys. Welcome to the jungle. We got fun and games. We got everything you want, honey. We know the names. We are the people that can find whatever you may need. If you got the money, honey, we got your disease. In the jungle. Welcome to the jungle. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.